It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the first Bengals post-game edition of the 2022 season. It's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer, branch manager of First Community Mortgage. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commerce and editor. As always, I'm joined by my podcast partner, Rick Broering. We do our weekly podcast, the Potpourri edition, each and every Thursday. Make sure you catch that if you have not. But we appreciate you tuning in for this podcast. And, and Rick, um, this is the great part about me doing this. I usually get done writing a big analysis piece, and I leave all the tough questions up to you to ask. I'm sure you have a thousand that we will go back and forth on, so I'm going to leave it up to you. That, that's, Dude, I've covered this league off and on in different ways for 30-plus years. I saw Jerry Rice catch a touchdown pass to beat the Bengals in 1987 after the Bengals tried to run out the clock on a famous play in which they couldn't. And it gave the Niners one play, and Jerry Rice caught a touchdown. Then the NFL went on strike for a few weeks, and then they had replacement. I've seen so many wacky things in this league. I'm not sure I've seen anything wackier than today. It was silly, but not in the way that the Bengals of the 90s were the bungles and no, things right. got silly because they couldn't get out of their own way and they were the Keystone Cops. This was a good team that was trying to find a way to claw one out when they had no reason to even be in the game. And ridiculous things just kept happening. I mean, yeah. on both sides, uh, it was an absolute roller coaster of a game for fans and for emotions. Uh, but to me, I keep coming back to this game comes down to the Bengals had the Steelers beat. If it wasn't for a fluke blocked extra point at the end of regulation. And that's despite the Bengals being minus five in the turnover column. And with that in mind, I'm that's not going to overreact to a lot of other bad things that happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to filter it through pro football reference to figure out the minus five turnover differential, how many teams have won a game with that. I can't imagine there's very many. I couldn't figure it out. Um, and you're right. I mean, if Clark Harris doesn't get hurt, they win the game, right or wrong. They they win that game, which would have been an even more stunning victory than it turned out to be a crazy, stunning loss, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think they said on the broadcast that it had been 10 years since a team had gone minus five in the turnover column and won. It was back in 2012, the last time it happened. So you're right. I mean, whatever the odds are of you being able to pull out a game with a minus five in the turnover column has to be astronomical. I have no idea what it is, but it's got to be a lot. So it's, it, I still saw a lot of things that we saw that made this team good last year. And in addition to that, I saw some improvements on the defensive side. So as much as there was to be like, uh, how did you give that game away? Both teams cost themselves at different times. There were also a lot of good signs. And, I, you know, kind of the overall big picture takeaway for this for me is I don't think anything about today changed my expectations for this team or how I feel about it or, or where I think they're going to end up at the end of the season. Yeah, and I said this on the Sports Authority segment I did um, on Local 12 on Sunday night. Um, you know, last year they pulled that first game out with Minnesota, turned into clunker and lost at Chicago, um, and they were one and one. This time around you could argue, okay, this was your clunker and you still almost pulled it out. Now you get a chance to go to Dallas, which looks like it's reeling a little bit. And, you know, you come out of this one and one with a winnable game at the Jets and you owe them one. And then the Thursday night home game with Miami, which is going to be a crazy scenario. You still have a great shot to come out of these first four games, three and one. And I, that's kind of where I had them with a loss at Dallas in that mix. So it may not be the way you thought it was going to happen, which is why those schedule predictions are always funny. But it still has a really good chance to be three and one, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, let's start with the end of game stuff that went on, because there was a sure. whole lot of the end of this game. I mean, it felt like it was going to be the end 
multiple times there throughout the final minutes of regulation and then into overtime. But I think the first thing you have to bring up is the Mitchell Wilcox situation. Who is Mitchell Wilcox? He's a backup tight end who was in backup long snapping duties for Clark Harris after he got hurt. And that happened sometime in the fourth quarter, we believe, right? Uh, no, it happened in the third quarter, um, third on, quarter a punt, okay. on, on a punt in the third quarter. Because don't forget, um, that was the only other special teams play because when the Bengals scored to make it 17-14, that's when they scored to actually make it 17-12, went for two, remember? So they didn't have a, a placement kick at that point right. um, or a punt at that point. So it happened, I believe, on the 50-whatever-yard punt Huber had that flipped the field there in the third quarter because Clark didn't play again after that. So that ended up leading to a blocked extra point to win at the end of regulation and the missed 29-yard field goal in overtime that would have won it. We can talk a little bit more about where all the responsibility lies if it was I've all on some, the long I've got snapper, some answers. Yeah, I've got some answers. Yeah, yeah, I figured you might after after getting a chance to talk to these guys. But essentially, that played a role in sure. both of those plays, obviously. And in the end, Chris Boswell hit a 53-yard field goal as time expired in overtime to win it. Part of what gave Pittsburgh that opportunity was when Kevin Huber punted the ball with about 103 left in overtime while there were still 14 seconds left on the play clock for the Bengals. Ian Eagle said it on the broadcast. At that point, the Bengals are basically just trying not to lose, and yet they gave the ball back to the Steelers 14 seconds earlier than they had to. What was Zach Taylor's explanation for that? Because he was catching a lot of flack for that online. All right, so here's the explanation, and you can take it with a grain of salt, um, and that's fair, and everybody can. But they feared, and remember on the one Huber punt, the one I think that Clark Harris got hurt on, they almost blocked it. Remember that? Yeah. And he flipped the field. They were fearful fearful that the Steelers thought, hey, they're going to wind this down, and they're going to snap it at one, and let's go at one on the gun, bing, and let's go get it. And you got a guy who's a long snapper who hasn't snapped very good so far on an extra point attempt. And a field goal attempt. So maybe this won't be a very good punt long snap and we can block this. So they were fearful of that. They just wanted to, to, to snap it when they felt comfortable snapping it. That call is on the up back. The personal protector, Mike Thomas. Mike made the call. I think it came. And we're going to talk to Darren Simmons tomorrow and I think get more on a lot of these things. Um, we don't talk to assistant coaches after games. We're not allowed to. But that was the explanation there. Um, I talked to Mitchell Wilcox. That was kind of his explanation was that's the personal protector's call. We thought that we needed some time in the operation to get this thing off. I agree with all of what everybody's screaming about because I I think it's right. But I also understand that if you thought the Steelers had a chance to time it up and block it, um, okay, you tried to catch him off guard, and Kevin came doggone close to downing that thing inside the five, and it ends up going in the end zone for a touchback, which is a 20-yard differential. But I think they were literally scared of – the whole operation and I get it. Yeah, I think that's understandable. And the Steelers are as good as anyone in the league at that. I mean, they have a reputation for timing up those snaps and blocking kicks like that. So I understand that. My guess is what happened here is they said, go when you're comfortable. Don't wait till the last second. And they had in mind, go with four seconds or five seconds or something like that. And they went with 14. So I think it's probably the player made a mistake or didn't quite understand what they were asking him to do on the field. And they're not going to throw him under the bus in post-game press conference. No, I will say Darren Simmons is a really honest guy. He's going to point the finger at himself for not having um, Mitch ready to, to do this. He'll point the finger at himself, which we'll get to the block field block extra point where there's a little more layer to it here in a second. We'll get to, but you're right. 
And I think that's just, just when you have this mess up in an NFL game with the operation of this in a key situation, it's a mess. I mean, Harrison Butker got hurt today for um, for Kansas City, and apparently I heard a guy hit a kickoff like at a 45-degree angle who was trying to kick it. He was able to kick extra points, but he couldn't kick off. So in this league of specialists, they are specialists for a reason. It's a tough, tough thing to do to long snap and hold and punt and kick. And those that do it are doing it at a high, high level, one of 32 jobs. And when you lose that, Hell, Mitchell Wilcox wouldn't long snap for his high school team, even though he said he did it and he was kind of the backup long snapper in college. It's it's a it's a big ask, man. So there are a few different criticisms of Zach Taylor in addition to just that punt situation where they punted it too early. In my opinion, the mo- the one that has the most merit is kicking the field goal on third down in overtime instead of trying it. to run it one more time. Okay, that's but, a great. No, go ahead, Rick. I'm sorry, but but I was gonna say. I'd also say if you look at how it played out, I think he actually might have made the right call because of exactly what happened. Yes. He was doing it in case there was a bad snap, which there was. It wasn't bad enough for Huber to get it down. And I think obviously there was, you know, some other issues there that that led to what happened. It wasn't just the the snap and the hold, but Huber could have fallen on it right there and they would have had another chance at it. Yeah, and that's the thing. That was the reason to kick it on third down is is the potential for a bad snap. And usually when you think of the bad snap scenario, you think of the hop, skip, and the jump where it's rolled back, and at that point you can't get it down, and you don't think about getting it down. You just think about falling on it. Right. The fact that that thing was so doggone high. And, you know, I talked to Darren Simmons last um, Wednesday about Kevin setting the record for Bengals games played. And I, I said, you know – I asked him a couple of things about what's kept him in the league so long and, and what is it that, that he does that maybe other punters don't do. And one of the things he said, he goes, he knows football. He understands situations. And, and I think he was talking more about a punting aspect of that. But, you know, Kevin was, I think, a quarterback at McNick. Kevin does understand football. Kevin's a, a smart guy about football. He's just not some, hey, this is punter guy that doesn't know the game, doesn't care about the game. And in that situation, I would have thought Kevin would have understood this is why we're punting or kicking it on third down. Just take it and at that point, get up and maybe throw your first pass in NFL history to somebody on a on a on a on a you know fire 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 play that you know there's there's that call on a bad snap and maybe you get lucky there and if you don't it falls incomplete and you do it again or as you yeah, said I think you, you just go down with it like down it right catch, there right or you yeah no or you just catch it and go down with it and it becomes instead of a 29 yard field goal it becomes a 38 yard field goal the right. distance wasn't going to matter if the snap and the hold were fine that that wasn't even an issue the fact that the operation was messed up, forced the poor kid to hook one left. And I'll give him credit to Evan said, hey, man, I could kick that left footed and make a 29 yarder. I'm putting that on me. That's and I great. think I think he's right about that to some extent. Don't get yeah. me wrong. He was totally screwed up by the snap. I mean, he makes that 100 out of 100 times if it's a good snap. Right. But, but, you, could, but you could tell, Rick, and as, as a golfer, I, I, I have a big fade slash slice that I play and I know how to play it. But occasionally when I hit one square or I hit one wonky i literally hit a a foul ball down the left field line and that's what that looked like the complete oh my timing is messed up and my swing is already going and he slung it across his body and you can't stop and and listen i give him credit for that and he's probably right he could have maybe seen it slowed himself down and go i don't have to hit this very good i just got to hit it straight and that's still hard in the moment i i can't put blame on him i'm glad he puts blame on himself because he's trying to he was really complimentary of Mitchell trying it and all those things. And that's what sucks. 
it's hard to have ill will towards Mitchell Wilcox for anybody. I think the one guy that does come into question are two guys, because we'll get to, to, to Darren Simmons in a moment, or Darren for maybe not having him ready, and Kevin for not understanding that situation. It's just, hey, this is what we did it on third down for. Fall on it, let's do it again. And and I would I would say that for Huber is kind of like, you know, you, you got to know in that situation why you're going on third down. So it better be a good snap. You've got two chances at it. Like, that's the whole idea right, here. So, right. Mr. Wilcox may not be perfect, but he's probably going to go one for two on decent enough snaps for you to make a, a field goal that's inside of 40 yards. Yeah, um, because, 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 Rick, the extra point snap wasn't great. It was loopy, but it was not awful enough. And we'll get to maybe you know, the, the block of this in a second. Yeah. The, but, but, but if you go, hey, dude, that snap was good enough. Just give me that snap. Okay, dude, I got you. You're right. I think he was so, in fact, he said he was so worried about accuracy on that field goal snap that he gave up any chance of velocity. That thing was looped like, honestly, you were a fifth grader looping one back to to Charlie Brown and Lucy, for goodness sakes. The block was Mika Fitzpatrick coming completely untouched right through the line. I mean, that that was the major issue on that. The snap was good enough there. So, again, I'm looking forward to the Darren Simmons explanation of it, but after looking at some film of it and looking at Twitter film of it, for lack of a better term, so here's the deal. So I, I asked Mitch this. I said, so... I know you block somewhere, and I guess I should have known this initially, but I said, where do you usually block on field goals and, and extra points? And he said, I'm the left wing. And so when you go back and look, Drew Sample is usually the right wing. Well, because Mitchell was snapping, Drew went to the left wing. And guess where Minka Fitzpatrick went through? The left. He's not been over there, right? I'm not making an excuse. Yeah, Trust but me. it's this like, is, how different no, is that? No, 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 no but I'm not, I'm not making an excuse. I'm just telling you. The, the whole thing, the, tr- the trickle-down effect is your left wing is now snapping. Your right wing is now your left wing. Your left wing maybe doesn't trust the guy. Here's the other thing. He maybe doesn't trust the guy to his right of, I'll block in, you you know, I'll force him out or I'll block out. You got I got to trust you to block, in, you know, block out with me. I, I think there's an operational issue there. Uh, the ripple effect of Clark Harris going down was significant. There's huge, no way around that. Huge. As far as the the whole Zach Taylor thing, one of the other things that people are complaining about was the Bengals were trailing with 252 left in regulation, and they were on the Steelers' 13-yard line. Burrow finds Jamar Chase for what looked like a 13-yard touchdown. Sure did. Chase was called out of bounds inside the one. You look at the replay. It appeared to show the ball crossing the plane as he ran out of bounds near the pylon. Sure did. They didn't cha- They didn't challenge it. They didn't review it. In fact, they tried to hurry to the line and run another play, I guess, to, to try to catch Pittsburgh with the wrong personnel on the field and off guard right at the, the goal line. What, what was the explanation there? What was your thought on how they played that out? The explanation was they didn't have a very good replay view, review of that because of the way the camera angles are for them. Um, okay, which is kind of true. I mean, even we didn't Maybe. see a great look at it on the broadcast, right. but it's certainly something that I think, Maybe. you know, 75% of people wanted challenged when he saw the people, the people who were watching it at home seemed to be pretty vocal about it on social media to, that they wanted yes. to challenge. And that's the thing about the replay system that, that drives me a little crazy is um, they might be telling the truth, Rick. They really might be. Of, we looked, I mean, you think that here's the thing I would say. Do you think if they thought that had a chance to be overturned, they wouldn't have challenged it? The thing that was weird and interesting was the rush to the next play. That's the yeah. part to me that you're like. Wouldn't you it, try to take your time to see yes. it as many times as possible? You're, yeah. you're that close. I mean, they review and look at everything in this league usually. Well, yeah, so. Yes, for, for multiple reasons. The other reasons being, 
hey, you're technically first and goal with the well, you are first and goal with the one at worst, which they were. Don't you want to milk more time off the clock to give the Steelers less time too? Yes. I guess the clock wouldn't have stopped on the out of bounds in that situation. No, I take it back. You're right. No, I take it back. You're right. Oh, okay. You're right. No, the clock did stop. You're right. That, that, yeah, that's my mistake. So you're right on that part. But still, what? what so, but still, what, what's the point of rushing at that point? Yeah, I mean, I just thought you would have wanted to get as many looks as possible before you move on to the next play and give your people up in the booth a chance to look at it. You know, the other thing that I found strange about it was, and and maybe this played into why they didn't want to challenge it, is Jamar Chase didn't seem to react at all to it. Like, he didn't seem to think that he had scored a touchdown. He didn't even argue with the ref. Yeah, I'll be honest. From the angle I had in the press box before I looked up at the TV, I I thought he crossed under the pylon with well, with his left foot, with the ball under the pylon, right foot across the pylon. Then when you look at it again, it looks like clearly the ball is across the the, the goal line. So um I'm yeah, I'm perplexed. I I'll I'll give him I'll give him their explanation, if you will. Um I'm not sure I buy it completely. I'm I'm not. So but I, thing- I go back I go back to if does does a fan think if they thought inside two minutes anything that happens is already reviewable you haven't used your challenge yet so you might as well if you thought it was a good challenge go ahead and use it yeah that's i mean that's i think the sentiment that everyone shares in the situation is why wouldn't you challenge that just take the chance even if you really didn't think it was close enough that uh, what are you waiting for there i mean obviously timeouts are valuable still so i understand all that but you're at the one you're assuming you're going to punch it in on in the next player two anyways, even if you don't get it, but you'd rather not have to find out. And unfortunately they did find out they didn't get in there. Now the end of the day, the Bengals still scored a touchdown before the end of regulation and had an extra point blocked with two seconds left to force overtime. So that didn't end up really mattering all that much when you saw how everything played out. And plus, Clark Harris was already out of the game at that point. When well, I was that just, I was just saying, so I was just saying, it's not like the, the same thing could have happened right there. You still could have missed the extra point that on that one. So, yeah, that's the point. I mean, they could have missed the extra point there. Now, you could argue that the Steelers could have gone three and out and the Bengals would have had more time to go down and score a touchdown instead of having to kick a field goal. But, yeah, that's the other part. I know everybody's wringing their hands over it because they scored again. Would they have scored again? I don't know. Do you know that? Would you do you know they would have scored again, Rick? It's hard to play that game at all. So. Whatever, but you know, maybe that actually is the the best criticism of Taylor in that situation. But at the end of the day, if that's what we're nitpicky, like I can criticize this coaching staff as much as anyone. We've heard that over the last couple of years. But I think at some point, given what they accomplished last year, you have to give these guys a little bit of slack. You know, they're not going to be perfect on everything. So, I mean, this whole every game we're going to relitigate whether or not Zach Taylor has a clue. It's like uh, that. That it's probably enough of that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to take them at their word that they didn't like the angle. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, that that's that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I'm with honest, you. But, I'm with you, bro. But there, that's going to happen. You know, you're going to make mistakes too, and that's that's okay too. I think that for the most part, in terms of all the stuff that they controlled in X's and O's wise throughout the game, I was fine with all of that. I didn't have any major issues with what was going on. There's a couple weird things that happen in this game, but how many times are those things going to come up throughout the year? Hopefully you don't have a long snapper issue in a game moving forward. Uh, that That's kind of my point there. So, um, you know, on a, on a good note, I did think one thing you saw once again, despite how bad of a game it was. And I want to talk about Joe Burrow's day here in a second. But at the end there, you saw Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase 
just put on a magic show once again. I mean, Chase yeah. finished with 10 catches for 129 yards and and that touchdown that forced overtime. I mean, Joe Burrow kept grinding, man. I mean, you talk about um, somebody handling adversity. He could have hung his head and, and said blanket a thousand times. This is not my day. This is not fun for me. And he just kept, I mean, he was scrambling for first downs. Um, he was just continuing to make tough throw after tough throw with dudes in his face. And then Chase, um, there was a timeout late in, I think it was the, the right before he caught his touchdown that tied it. He was so exhausted. Jermaine Pratt during a timeout runs out to the field with a water bottle, squirts it in his face and in his mouth and runs off because he realized we need this dude and he's exhausted. Um, that tells you how special those two dudes are. On a bad day for one, he grinded, and the other guy, despite being exhausted, still made the play of the game. Well, and you're going against a defense that most consider to be a top defense coming into right. this year, and they looked the part. For I'm not taking that away from them. They looked very good, so uh, that's not a shot at them. But you did it against that group, and you also did it in a situation where last year you were still a rookie, and people started to know about you, yes, but they were still going to watch T Higgins and Tyler Boyd and CJ Uzama a little bit, all that stuff. You had a little more leeway. Now everybody knows who they're trying to stop in those situations. They want to take Jamar chase away as much as possible. And they just can't do it. I well, mean, he's a freak. Yeah. And they did down the field because they played a bunch of too high and didn't let anything get over the top, but he still found a way to work his way across the crossers in the middle, uh, made a great comeback catch along the sideline when he fell out of bounds, made the catch at the end of the game. I mean, he still found a way to worm his way. And that's the thing. Everybody thinks of, oh, he's just a speed guy and you got to take his deep stuff away. Yeah, you better. But he's got so many other things in his arsenal of his catches and his runs after catches and his route running. That That's why on a day when they said, you're not getting deep on us, guys. Have a good time. You can run it on us. You can do this. And, and you know, you're not going to be able to throw it because we're going to sack you um, if you take deep drops and look. And still he wound up figuring out a way to sneak his way through zones and whatever coverages to go 10 for 129. That shows me maturity in a guy. Yeah, he was fantastic. And the best catch of the day was one that didn't count. That one Damn in the close. end zone where he contorted Damn his close. body and that that second toe was right on yep. the chalk line, but it was so close to being a just spectacular sure touchdown. Sure was. You got to talk about Burrow's day. He finished 33 of 53 for 338 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions, Seven sacks. He also had the six rushes for 47 yards. There was also a fumble in there. Five turnovers for Joe Burrow. Where do you think it went wrong for him? That's a great question. And, and I don't know if you were going to get to this, but it, it does lead you to the whole rust factor, right? Of not playing in the preseason and not repping with your guys. I, I'm not sure I buy that. Um, the first throw that Fitzpatrick intercepted, I thought was a horrendous decision. As soon as he threw it, I looked over to the coverage real quick. And I, I and in my mind, I, I, I might have even said it in the press box, I went, oh, no. It was like, that's not you, Joe. That was a bad decision. You know, the one down the middle that, that Cameron Sutton intercepted, uh, I think it was intended for Tyler Boyd. He threw it and pulled Dana to my left and Charlie, Charlie Goldsmith to my right. Went, that's a good throw. I go, I think it's hanging. And it hung, and I thought I was with them because as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, that looks like a good throw. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's hanging. Um, you know, then you had a tip ball, which that's one I'm not going to put on him. And then you had the crazy J.J. Watt interception where he jumps up at the line of scrimmage and, and picks off. And I can argue, I'm not going to blame Lyle Collins for it, but you're supposed mm. to 
get a guy's hands down, right? Yep. You're supposed yep. to get a guy's hands down in that circumstance. But it was still a hell of a catch. I mean, it wasn't like he, he you know, he dropped into coverage and caught one. He caught it. He literally caught a bullet at the line of scrimmage. So they're all different. But listen, he wasn't very sharp. And maybe you can argue the no preseason rust, but I could also come back to you and go, Dude didn't have a preseason in 2020 with COVID, and dude didn't have other than three three goofy snaps last preseason, and he was just fine in both of his openers. Today was just weird. It's just weird, and it happens. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. I'm going to guarantee you I'm going to find a Tom Brady for interception game somewhere along the way. I haven't looked for it yet, but I'm going to find it. There were, you know, there was another interception that got called off because of a yes. pass interference. And too. It was, I, that's why, but that was why it was intercepted. Exactly, exactly. And I think some people thought that was a bad throw. And it's like uh, he was fitting in a tight window, but if his receiver doesn't get pulled, right. if that ball's not intercepted, that's right. no, that's right. So, or more than more than likely, I felt that there were two really bad throws out of the interceptions and things where he just can't make those decisions. The Minka one for sure in my mind was bad. Was just a bad decision. Yeah, but the, uh, the other one that you were talking about too, not the Sutton. one that was tipped. Yeah, um, and not the one by JJ Watt. The, the Sutton one. I thought that was. I thought that was a bad ball. I didn't think the decision was bad. I just thought it was a bad ball. Yeah, I it, it was. And I, but I, I also think there was a difference last year because we talked about in early December last year he led the NFL with fourteen interceptions, and, and, and then he ran off the bye. Yeah, and then he ran off five straight games without one. Four yeah. at the end of the regular season and the first playoff game. I think last year there were times where the game was too fast and he was getting fooled some. I don't think that was what happened today. I think if anything, there might have been a little overconfidence. Him just sort of seeing things and saying, I can fit this ball in that tight window. That's and a, we, that's a, and no, we that's saw a, him do that some, by the way. He, he made some really nice tight window throws today, but it almost felt like uh, he's got to get readjusted to just how good and how fast these guys are because it almost seemed like he saw a little sliver of opening and he went ahead and just tried to fire it in there. No, I think that's a great analogy. I think that one that Fitzpatrick intercepted is an example because if you look at it from afar before you see the the, the cl- it looks like Tyler's got a nice out route in between in between coverage. And suddenly he didn't because Minka Fitzpatrick's really good and he made a great read and a great play on the ball. No, I, I think your point's really well taken. Um, the funny part is, uh, so I sit next to Paul Daner in the, in the press box, as I've mentioned, and we were discussing when he threw the third interception. I said, "Daggone, Paul!" I said, "I might be the dumbest person ever." I said, "One of my bold predictions is Joe Burrow is not going to get sacked more than forty times, and he's not going to throw ten interceptions." He goes, "Did you see mine?" I said, "Oh, I did." And you know what Paul predicted? No, that he won't throw five more than five interceptions all season. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah. So how how concerned should fans be about his interception? Because it was a problem for a lot of the year last year, to be quite, and not not a problem in the sense that you don't have a chance to win games. But is it a concern at some point that it, if if it doesn't stop this year, that like this is just kind of who he is? Yes, except for guess what it did last year, Rick. It, it stopped. stopped. Yeah. Right. That's the thing I think is so good about him is um, I'm gonna do it. It was it was weird. So he he did his press conference. Um, and then we, I, I went in the locker room actually after him. I did not listen to Zach because I wanted to make sure I got a couple of guys that I needed to talk to. It turned out they stayed longer than I thought anyway. But anyway, so I didn't stay for Joe. Um, but then he, he, it was weird. We all surround Tyler Boyd late in the press conference or late in the locker room scenario. And Joe Burrow's locker is two down from, from Tyler's. And Joe was still sitting in his locker just with this blank look on his face, like, what in the world just happened to me? 
And I think that's what he's all about. And and I I appreciate a guy like that because um he no teammates walked up to him, nobody said anything to him. We were already done with him, so our media availability was done. But I could see that as a as a coach with a player going, All right, just be introspective for a minute. Figure this out and you're gonna figure this out. And when I watched him just sit there, I could tell how much he was seething at himself, like this won't happen again. And that's the thing when I've watched him over these two plus years and you watch him, you're like, that stunk. And you go, well, it never happened again. And um, I don't think it will. I think he'll look and go, I forced that and I forced that. And yeah, that was a bad, lucky, unlucky bounce. And yeah, that was a crazy play by J.J. Watt. But the other ones are on me. And so I'm going to fix that and not let it happen again. And that's the same thing that happened last year. I thought it was going to happen from Jump Street this year. It didn't. And some of it was him getting battered yeah, and them needing to throw it and all those things. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I feel bad for Paul because his five interception prediction is not going to come, come true. I think I'm going to come closer to my prediction than you would think, believe it or not, with 16 games to go. And I've got five interception wiggle room for, for that to be under 10. I think it'll be closer than you think. I could see that, but I also would disagree with you guys somewhat in the fact that I don't think he necessarily ever becomes this super pristine conservative never throws interceptions type no, of guy no, no, you're right no you're right he's a gunslinger I, right and i, I mean I, he's not brett Favre, i don't think right right but i do think there's a, an element to this of his extreme confidence is going to lend itself to him trying to fit in tight windows and him trying to make plays that maybe aren't quite there and and i do think some of this may be he tunes it in. He, he dials all that focus and all that stuff in as the season goes. His feel continues to get better and and his focus and, and getting in tune with his teammates and knowing exactly where everyone's going to be and how he can direct this. Probably he gets a feel for that as the season goes on. And that's kind of what we saw last year. I, I don't think that's unreasonable to think he may have a similar year to last year where he may figure it out sooner this year, but it, it, there's some early turnovers where he's trying to do a little too much. And then he really uh, shuts it off there as they head down the stretch. No, Rick. And the other part to that is um, you needed him to still be a gunslinger. You needed him to not, not today go, Oh crap. I can't throw a fifth interception. He right. didn't care. He didn't care. I'm going to go try to win the game and I may screw it up, but I'm going to go try to win the game. And And that's the thing that I think you have to like about him. Yeah, and I, I, I'm with you, though. You you mentioned something earlier, and I, I think it's true that there aren't a lot of guys that can have a four-interception day and what could have been you know a five-interception day, and you have a fumble, too, and you're getting hit that many times where you don't have your confidence shaken or you don't – It at some point, it just becomes a bad game for you. Right. And no matter how good you are, and he never really had that. It's like but, you know, even as you started into the second half, you could already see – Oh, he's okay. Like they're they've got a good shot to win this game still, and and they did. They just uh, weren't able to convert at at uh, the end there. The other big storyline I think from this game has to be the offensive line. And that was a huge storyline the whole offseason, the entire preseason. And you come into this first game, they give up seven sacks. Joe Mixon averages just three yards per carry on twenty seven rushes. The big question that a lot of people were talking about prior to the season is. Should Zach Taylor have played these guys together some to get them on the same page? Yeah, that's the one thing. I'm not a big believer that he has to play Joe Burrow or Joe Mixon or Jamar Chase or key defensive starters or anybody that you know. Um, and I'm doing this in retrospect, so I want to be fair because I'm a big believer in, you know what, you did this last year and it worked. And the Rams have done this. Everybody's looking at the Rams game on, on Thursday and going, see, the Rams did it. 
Well, Sean McVay was five and zero in openers, so don't don't give me that. He you know he doesn't have Andrew Whitworth and Von Miller, and he's got a quarterback with a messed up arm. So there's some of that that factored in, and plus Buffalo's pretty damn good. So don't give me the whole they didn't. They, he's done it before, and Zach's done it before. But I will say the fact that you didn't have your offense. This is a completely new offensive line, other than the left tackle who also needs to know what the left guard is going to do. And hello, Cordell Volson, who are you? Oh, okay, great. Let's go. I, I think whether it was Brandon Allen or Jake Browning or Drew Plitt, for God's sakes, that first team offensive line probably should have taken some snaps. And I am doing this completely in retrospect. So I want that to be clear. I don't want to be a second guess guy. They needed some reps together and it showed today. It definitely showed. And I, I think it, it matters that they didn't have any reps together, but at the same time, it doesn't bother me that they didn't play in preseason together because part of what you just mentioned, even if they were out there playing, they're not playing with Joe Burrow. Right. They're not playing with the group they're actually going to be but, out but, there but with. They're playing, but they're playing together Rick, next to each other. That and, and that may have mattered some, but honestly, how many series are you actually going to play no, these right. guys? That's right. How much, how seriously? And like, I know they're professionals. They're paid to take it seriously, but is it really the same as playing the Steelers on week one? Are you really going to be prepared because you played three or four series per game during the preseason, something like that. Like, I just don't know that I buy into it. I think this well, was going to be a process to start the season, regardless of what you did in the preseason. I, I don't know that it really would have mattered a whole lot. So, well, well, and, 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 and to the point, um, Alex Highsmith owned Jonah Williams in one-on-ones. Was that going to change with more snaps? Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, he had three sacks and he's the one that forced the, the, what could have been the fifth, uh, a sixth interception technically, because the ball got popped in the air that Cam Hayward got. Cam Hayward on the first play of the game, bull rush Cordell Volson. He just bull rushed him right back into the pocket and he sacks Burrow on the first play. Was that going to change with, with, you know, preseason reps? Probably not. I do think there was maybe some combination stuff with twists and stunts a couple of times and with some zone blocking stuff and all those things, a little nuanced stuff. But no, I, again, I'm second guessing this a little bit. But I also look and go, well, he lost three one-on-ones. He lost a one-on-one. There's four of the sacks. I didn't look at all, like, you know, I'm trying to write and do things. I can't look at every matchup, every play. But, I mean, maybe six of the sacks were all one-on-one misses. That, that's not on not playing. That's on you're just not good enough against those guys. Yeah. I mean, Cordell Volson looked like a late-round draft pick from one of the Dakotas. That was a rookie out there. I mean, that's what he looked like. He just got bullied, basically. Jonah Williams was a big concern, I think, at left tackle. So there's no doubt what other teams are going to do to this Bengals offensive line. They're going to attack the left side because that's the weak side. I think everyone realizes that. The other side, Lyle Collins, quite honestly, got dominated by T.J. Watt in the first half. T.J. Watt did whatever he wanted. Right, and that's the thing. T.J. Watt is a freak. You're not going to face T.J. Watt every week. That being said, there are a lot of good pass rushers in the NFL. So you're paying Lyle Collins a lot of money. And I do think he got better as the game went on. It seemed like he did a better job late in the game. And then obviously TJ Watt got what he deserved and, and was injured after he took multiple cheap shots during the game. But that, that well, I mean, the, the, the Watt players are, the brothers are just dirty. I mean, that's just period. He is. He is a POS and they're fragile too. That's the other thing. So while he is a superstar, he is constantly injured and, uh, you know, hopefully he gets back on the field soon, I guess. Yeah. In 2023, it looks like skinny. When is it fair to judge Frank Pollock? Because I don't think since he's been here, he's really had a competent group to play with. So it was hard to really pin anything on him this off season. They did go get him some guys. I don't know if it's enough, 
but he does have some guys. He does not have a complete lack of talent like he's had in the past with some of the ridiculous guys that they've had on that front line. But at at what point does it become fair to judge him? Because I understand it's still new. They've got to figure this thing out. I don't think it's time to panic. We talked about on our podcast Thursday. This was going to take this group some time to gel. But at what point do you start pointing the finger a little bit and start wondering what the hell Frank Pollock is doing? Um, It's a fair question. Um, You know, you got three straight games against teams that aren't as good defensive line-wise. Yes, Micah Parsons is great for Dallas, but it's Dallas and then um, the Jets and Miami. They're not close. And Pittsburgh's the best defensive line in football, in my opinion. They're not a great team, but they're the best defensive line. So if you continue with these struggles, yeah, I think it's fair. But at some point, then do you go, is this schematics for for Zach Taylor of going empty so much and putting guys on islands so much? And if if he replaces Frank Pollock, whether it's in season, which I doubt, that's hard to do, or after the season, that's three offensive line coaches in five years. Who's that on at that point? Is that on the coach or is that on schematics? I think that's fair. And, and to be clear, I'm not at that point to be saying, oh, Frank Pollock is the issue or whatever. No, but it's a great, you know, it's a fair, it's a fair question. It's a great every, question. Yeah. Everyone, when they brought him back was like, oh, he's going to be the savior. He's going to turn this thing around. And to be fair, I don't think he has had the guys to work with to this point where it would be even fair to say the coaches is, is screwing up here because those guys stunk. Right. Um, but now you're getting to a point where you, you want to see some change. And that doesn't mean the first week of the year against the best defensive line in football. Right, that right. means midway through this year, I would like to see this group start to to show some cohesion to where, you know what, Joe Mixon is able to get off for four and a half yards in a, a game occasionally. And, uh, you know, they, they, they're they not letting Joe Burrow get hit seven to ten times a game. That, that would be nice to see maybe by midway through the year. Uh, and part of the, honestly, the big pluses from today's game is that Joe Burrow got hit as much as he did and wasn't injured because that – at this point is a major concern every game until they get this no, offensive right. line thing fixed. Right. Um, but I, 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 I go, I go back to the whole, I get people's ringing of the hands of not playing together in the preseason. And I could argue again, I didn't need them to play in front of Joe Burrow trying to fix this, let them play in front of Brandon Allen, trying to fix this, trying to get cohesion. And that's the part I could criticize because at least they should have played some. I think a lot of people are feeling that way. And I think it's a question worth asking. I just, I can see both sides of it and it doesn't really bother me that they didn't play because I don't know how much of a difference that would have made. I think today would have been a bad day for that offensive line. If they played every snap of the preseason together. Yeah. I, I, I do think it's a lazy narrative to say, Oh, the Bengals didn't have a really tough training camp and the Steelers did. And no, that's a lazy narrative, man. That's no, a, they're just way better right now, and they know what they're doing. The Bengals' offensive line doesn't. Right. But, you know, if they meet again later in the year, we'll see how it goes, and hopefully the Bengals have shown some improvement. Uh, all right, the defense really quickly. They held the Steelers to 267 total yards, just 75 yards rushing, 3.4 yards per carry. They gave up, like, three big pass plays and, like, a 15-yard run. Other than that, it was a pretty great performance overall. I think what were your overall takeaways from the defense? I'm a big believer. This is a top 10 defense. I I wrote it in one of my bold predictions that will send to that level. And I think they did now granted Mitch it's Mitch Trubisky, Najee Harris got hurt, but that was late. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, the plays you're talking about. One was a flea flicker to Pat Fryermuth, um, a couple of end arounds, 
couple of big pass plays where guys made great catches. I think Deontay Johnson or whoever it was made a great catch on the sideline on overtime. I mean, there were some great plays that they made to have big splash plays. They were just saying, hey, we, we can't drive it on you guys. We have to just sling one up and hope. And so I think it tells you, I, I love what Lou Anarumo did. They, they did some, you know, I'm doing this off the top of my head. They do some 4-1-6 alignments and some 5-1-5s and some, you know, 4-2-2-5. I mean, they, they he mixed and matched groups. Dax Hill was in there summoned three safety sets. There were some five defensive linemen sets. There was Joseph Osai set. I mean, they, he did so many different things. Uh, they were really, really, really good, you know, you're minus five in turnovers and your defense keeps you in it like that. Now, granted, you can argue, well, they let the team go down in overtime. Well, it was a great catch on the sideline. It was a couple of great pass plays and a dude still bangs through a 53 yard field goal. They were fabulous. You play yeah. like, dude, I think if this unit doesn't get hurt, this team still goes 11 and six or 10 and seven. And I'm still a 10 and seven guy. And I had this one as a win today. I still think that team does this because of that defense. The defense is good. Yeah, I came away feeling really good about the defense. I thought they were they're tough against the run. Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt looked really good. And the one thing I would like to see them do a little bit more is get to the quarterback. They had just the one well, sack by B.J. Hill. It'd be nice to see them make a little yeah, more impact there. But, Rick, Rick, the only thing I will say the caveat of is, is, is Mitch Trubisky rarely took much time in the pocket. It was like yeah, they were getting back it foot quick. set, gone. Back foot set, gone. Shovel pass, shovel pass, shovel pass. I mean, they ran three shovel passes or two shovel passes. So, yeah, I... I, I, I'm not sure I'd give them um, a negative mark in that regard for not getting the quarterback just because that's what the Steelers did and it wasn't very effective. So good for you. You got it out of your hand, but you weren't very good at it. Right. I mean, there, there are more opportunities than just one, though. You know, you, yeah, you, no, can, no, no, you can get no, back right. there a little no, bit more. Right. But yeah, I mean, you're right. They were getting rid of it quickly. So um, the injuries really quick. T Higgins was a big one. He went down with a concussion yeah. and, that, and that's, I mean, I, I imagine there's no update other than he's in protocol at this point. That's right? it. Yeah, that's it. Um, you know, those things can be hit and miss. You can get the guy that goes, Hey, it's not so bad. Um, Zach Taylor did say he tried to beg him to come back in the game, which I think is a good thing. If you're thinking he's going to play next week, because it means he's cognitive enough to want to come back in, but you can't do that. Uh, and then obviously the Clark Harris injury is just, you know, it's catastrophic for that game. But, I, you know, Cal Adamitis, I thought, snapped great. I've talked to Darren Simmons about him a lot, and he likes him. Not as much as Clark, because Clark's done it and never had a bad snap. And what do we see today? That's the funny part. Clark's never had an unplayable snap, Rick. Never. And neither of these two snaps today were unplayable, but they weren't very good. How yeah. much of a difference is that, man? Makes a huge difference. And there was a trickle-down effect as well, like we talked about. Just a couple of things to wrap up here, odds and ends. Zero snaps for Chris Evans today. Any yeah. reason that you know of? No, it's weird. I thought that was weird too. I thought I thought he had shown enough in preseason. Um, Joe Mixon came out on a lot of third downs, and they put P Ryan in there. Um, the weird part was the I'm good with P Ryan coming in there to block or run or screen, but they ran him out wide a couple of times, and they ran him down the sideline and tried to throw it to him twice. It's like. I like him, and I, I, I'm a you know, I'm, I'm a bigger Samaj P. Ryan fan than most. I think he's a really good player. But if you're going to run somebody on the sideline, run Chris Evans down the sideline. What, what, what are you doing? And maybe you think, well, he's fast, and they think he can catch, and they'll cover him. They'll cover him with a linebacker anyway. Twice Samaj P. Ryan was isolated on a linebacker. He couldn't go around him, and that's fine. I'm not expecting you to, but Chris Evans can. That was weird. Yeah, I, I, that 
I was surprised by that, but I was hoping maybe there was some type of explanation no, for it. It doesn't you, sound like there was. You, the, no, uh, there I thought Hayden Hurst made an impact in his debut. Five catches, 46 yards. He looked like he's going to be a nice target. Yeah, not just that, but but a couple times he dragged defenders to first downs. And yeah. as much as uh, – it's funny. As much as C.A. Uzama was, was kind of famous for yak, his was usually a yak off of a crazy, goofy bounce-off. And then he was athletic enough and probably faster than Hayden to run down the field. Hayden dra- – I mean, there's a couple first downs. Hayden earned those first downs. So that was – yeah, you're right. That was great to see. Um, th- this is kind of random, but I think this was the first time you guys were allowed back in locker rooms since COVID, right? Uh, after a game, I believe, oh my gosh, that's correct. It might be correct. You weren't in any last year, right? No, you're no, no, we were post game. Yes. I believe we were allowed. I think. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah, that, so- I thought this was your first time back in a, a locker room this year. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I'm, I'm getting too old to remember that. All right. Fair enough. Well, I guess there wasn't, I guess it didn't really stand out to you if it was. So yeah, that's nothing, no, nothing to report on there. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah. I, I like the question. It put me on the spot and I don't remember that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know what else you have, but I mean, to me wrapping up, I think this just felt like it felt like some of the games last year that we saw. I think the, the Packers game comes to mind specifically. And there were a couple of others where it got kind of goofy at the end and it could have gone either way. It almost doesn't matter which teams you're playing from week to week in the NFL. There's just so much parity that if you're a competitive team with a legit quarterback, you have to find a way to win a lot of these games. But you're not going to win all of them. And today didn't go their way. They probably should have never been in it with all the turnovers they had. They still had their chances to win it at the end. As long as they continue to progress and they're in games like this throughout the year, I have confidence that with this group and that quarterback, they're going to find ways to win more than they lose. Dude, it's so crazy to think through minus five turnovers, if you had your regular long snapper, you win the game, right? Period. Think Period. about that. That's, that doesn't happen. To minus five. And that's what I just keep going back to. Every time I try to think and get too deep into this game, and we just spent like an hour talking yes. about it, so we went pretty deep on it. But no matter what, I always come back to the surface level of, they should have won the game and they had they were minus five in the turnover column. That doesn't happen in the NFL. It hasn't happened in 10 years. I'm not worried about really anything that happened. I think they're in a really good spot after this game. Yeah. Because Joe Burrow isn't going to throw four interceptions. Correct. My my fear is you have two road games. You have to at least win one. I hope you win two. Correct. And if you win two, you come back home for the Thursday night game with Miami and you're fine. My fear is, oh my gosh, you know, Dallas is Dallas and Dallas fixes things they didn't fix tonight and you know then you go to the Jets and they screwed you last year I mean I don't think that happens but that's the fear and that puts you behind the eight ball a little bit but you're right I mean you're you're minus five in turnovers and you don't win games in this league doing that and you almost won and without your long snapper you don't win and with your long snapper you do win so it, it, I mean that's that, it, it that's crazy to me crazy all right well that's all I got all right Rick thanks as always you're a good man uh, a reminder that uh, we will be back on Thursday, I believe, this week with our Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition. And make sure you hit Rick up on Twitter with Ask Skinny Anything Questions. A reminder that this, prod- uh, this podcast has been brought to you by Ryan Kiefer, branch manager of First Community Mortgage. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals Post Game Edition.